0: Welcome to Connect to the Source. This is our new series. It is a 10-week series. I planned to preach this series about a year ago, and as Jenny mentioned, none of us had any idea this series would be coming your way during these difficult times. But my hope is to connect you to Jesus uh, throughout the next 10 weeks um, in some practical and poetic ways, so that in Christ you can find the strength you need to uh, weather this storm. What I'm going to do, I've mentioned this before, but perhaps you're joining us for the first time here. Week one, I will preach James 1. Week two, I will preach 1 John 1. Week three, I will preach James 2. Week four, I will preach 1 John 2. So that's why we have the uh, light board here to help you keep track of what week it is and what chapter we are in. So we're going to be ping-ponging back and forth between these two books of the Bible. I've heard from many of you that James is your very favorite book in the Bible. No pressure. It is my wife Nikki's favorite book in the Bible. I love the book of James. Um, I have preached through the book of James. More than almost any other book in the Bible, I think Philippians and James are a close first and second. In fact, when I was first hired here at Grace, I think preaching through the book of James was one of the very first things that I did. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into this series and see what the Lord might have for you as we connect to the source. Have you ever had a how-do-we-do-this kind of moment? How do we do this? You might be in that moment right now. This is six weeks now in lockdown. Um, how do we do this? We are in uncharted territory here. We are all trying to figure out how to navigate these strange waters. How do we do this? I remember when I first moved out of my parents' house, sitting in my rented apartment, I was uh, sharing an apartment with my friend Gord. We were ministry partners and dear friends. And I'll never forget sitting, we, rent, we bought one of those um, pine picnic tables from Home Depot, and sanded it, and shellacked it, and that was our dining room table, and I will never forget sitting at that table and trying to figure out how to pay bills for the first time. I'm old enough to have been paying bills for the first time before the advent of uh, online banking. I still to this day say, what did we do before we had access to online banking? It was arduous. You had to fill it out, write it down, put it in an envelope, mail it. I mean, it was, it was really archaic and ridiculous. But how do we pay these bills? And especially when you're just starting out in life, you're still a student, kind of working part-time as a youth pastor. How do you even have the money to pay all these bills? How are we going to do this? Um, maybe you are finding it difficult to uh, keep cooking 21 meals a week. I said to Nikki this week, I was like, when was the last time we cooked three meals a day, every day, seven days a week? I can't really think of a time in our entire life, we've been married almost 25 years, where we have done what we are doing now. I said to her this morning, in fact, when we finally get through the other side of this um, pandemic season, I will remember it almost as a season spent entirely in our kitchen. If we're not cooking, we're cleaning. If we're not cleaning, cleaning we're cooking. How are we going to manage to cook 21 meals a week? How do we do this? How do we stay married? Did you have a how-do-we-stay-married moment at some point in your marriage? Maybe you're there right now. I remember it was maybe three or four months into being married to Nikki thinking, whoa, this is, this is going to be like a thing. And my wife is great, and we have what I consider to be an incandescent marriage. And I can think of two fights we've had in 25 years. Um, We have not had to go through deep waters maritally. But that being said, I remember times where I had to steal myself, where I had to get a hold of myself, where I had to sit down, kind of gather myself and go, all right, here's what you have to do if you want to do this. This is what it's going to take for us to stay married. How are we going to do this? How are we going to change that diaper? Do you remember your first truly horrific diaper? Can I get a witness in somebody's living room this morning? I, I, I'm vision- in fact, the mind is so powerful, I'm kind of smelling that first truly horrible diaper. I remember thinking as I stood there to change it, I did not sign up for this. I did not ask for this. I often have said to Nikki throughout the years, you know, home economics did not prepare me for this. The only thing I remember from home ec class in high school was being taught how to make pizzas out of pita, and like nobody needs to know how to make pizzas out of pita bread. What everyone needs to know how to do is change a re- like the diaper to end all diapers. That'd be like a fun, you could, you could actually cook squash at the same time in home ec class and then deploy. OK, enough already. How are we going to do this? How are we going to turn left into traffic uphill for the first time driving standard? Do you remember the sheer terror of having to turn left uphill in traffic? driving a stick shift for the very first time. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do life right now? If you have been feeling that way, I just want to say to you, you're not alone. I have been wondering the very same thing. How are we going to do this? Which is why I am so excited to be able to offer you 10 weeks of practical and poetic wisdom for living from James and First John. My goal is really simple with this series. My goal is to help connect you to Jesus in practical and inspiring ways as you seek to navigate this season in the valley. Starting with James chapter 1. As is my habit, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, Steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to them. But let them ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." For that person must not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Let the lowly brother or the lowly sister boast in their exaltation, and the rich in their humiliation, because like a flower of the grass they will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich person fade away in the midst of their pursuits. "'Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. "'For when they have stood the test, "'they will receive the crown of life "'which God has promised to those who love him. "'Let no one say when they are tempted, "'I am being tempted by God. "'For God cannot be tempted with evil, "'and he himself tempts no one. "'But each person is tempted "'when they are lured and enticed by their own desire. "'Then desire, when it has conceived, "'gives birth to sin, "'and sin, when it is fully grown, "'brings forth death. "'Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters.' Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they are like a man or a woman who looks intently at their natural face in a mirror. For they look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in their doing. If anyone thinks they are religious and do not bridle their tongue, but deceives their heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James chapter one. Man, I love that chapter. It's going to be hard for me not to preach the entire chapter, but I'm going to approach this series a little differently. If you've been coming to Grace for a while or been listening to me preach for some of you for years, I still have people who listen to me preach regularly who were in my first church that I planted in Toronto back in 2001 with my friend Gord. So if you've been listening to me preach for a long time, you know that over the past several years I have tended to preach through entire chapters. I am not going to do that with this series. I'm going to keep reading you the entire chapter just so you can kind of receive it and get ready to jump into the passage that I'm focusing on. But having read the entire chapter, I'm going to zone in on one section that helps me get my point across. Let me give you a little background before we get started in earnest here on the book of James. Very, very simple background here. Who wrote the book of James? Most scholars agree that James the Just, the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, wrote the book of James. So that makes it a pretty awesome book. To think that it's the brother of Jesus, to think that it's the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem who wrote this, and to think that he wrote it somewhere in the early 40s A.D. is truly remarkable. Because if Jesus was actually crucified somewhere between 30 and 35 A.D., then James, his brother, okay, who knows him like a brother, who grew up with him, who lived with him through his ministry, and who after his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, so believed that his brother was the Messiah, the Son of God, that he gave his life to the leading of the first church in existence. A church that hinged on and focused on the person of his brother Jesus, now known as God the Son made flesh. This is a person whose point of view I tend to take very seriously. So when I read this book, I want you to feel the closeness of this subject matter to its subject. Meaning the author, James, has a proximity to his subject, Jesus, that is absolutely without peer. And the fact that he wrote this in the early 40s AD means that he was writing this very soon after these events had taken place. It's been just long enough for the gospel of Jesus to take root in Jerusalem, for it to begin spreading from Jerusalem to the wider world. It's been just long enough for them to begin experiencing persecution. It's been just long enough for the Christian church to begin having to deal with issues of doctrine and practice. But it is still recent enough that James, as he sits down to write this book, remembers intimately everything that has happened. That's a little background on James. And here is the big idea in the book of James. Put your money where your mouth is. That's his big idea. Put your money where your mouth is. Or put in biblical language, literally it says, the theme of James is to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Okay, so as we work through the book of James, I want you constantly reminding yourself to put your money where your mouth is is. Coincidentally, that is the big idea for week one. You will see this week's big idea on screen beneath me. Do it. The bottom line is single-minded faith. I want to invite you to be single-minded in two particular ways. One, I want to invite you to do whatever it takes to be a clean river, and secondly, I want to invite you to do whatever it takes to live beside love. Yes, everyone said amen. Todd is preaching a two-point sermon. Okay, Two things I want you to do. Whatever it takes to become a clean river, whatever it takes to live beside love. I get point number one. Do whatever it takes to become a clean river from verses 19 through 21. Let me read them for you here. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So I want to wind our way to the river here with a few stops along the way to receive some hot truth. Here's a hot truth point number one. Um, we have here at the top of verse 19 something we can count on. Know this. Okay, granted, there's lots of things in life that you cannot know for sure. What we're about to uncover here in James chapter 1 is not one of those things. What we're about to uncover here are things that you can know for sure. Know this. I want you to know this morning that in the midst of uncertainty, you, receive it, can count on what God says. That's audacious. Okay? And that's what the Christians believe. Welcome to God's church. Okay, You can count on what God says. So let me invite you this week to live your life as if you have a firm foundation. As if there are some things that you know for sure. Would that change your life this week? I know there are moments when it would have changed the way I lived Last week, those three moments I can think of off the top of my head when despair came to visit me, I would have been able to banish much more quickly if the firm foundation I have in Jesus was first and foremost in my mind. Know this. It's important to remember that you have a firm foundation. Why? Because you are loved. We get this out of verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Anytime you come to the word love in the New Testament, you need to check if it is the word agape. Nine times out of ten, the word love, when it appears in the New Testament, is the word agape. And agape means selfless love. So the proper way to read this is, know this, my selflessly loved sisters and brothers. You are selflessly loved by God. Receive it this morning. God loves you selflessly. Let that bring to life in you a kind of relaxed peace as you rest in the knowledge that God doesn't just love you, but he loves you selflessly. This is the great teaching of the gospel of God in Christ, that he loves you so selflessly. God the Father loved you so selflessly that he gave his one and only begotten Son to suffer and die on a Roman cross in your place for your sin, that whomsoever believeth on him should not perish, but that they would have everlasting life. God loves you so selflessly that he gave his one and only son so that you might have life. The only way to respond to the selfless love of God is to begin the process of learning to do the same. Learning, mind you, it's not something you're going to come to in a day, in a week, in a month, or in a year. It's going to take you multiple years to come to the place where you begin learning to love those around you as God has loved you. To love them selflessly. But I'm here to remind you this morning that there is no other way to live. The imperative of love is universally true. And this is echoed in our text this morning, continuing in verse 19. Some things are universally true. Let every person. I want you to camp on the word every with me for a moment. Let every person. Last time I checked, every means every. And if you stretch it just a little bit, last time I checked, all means all. Here's the point. The way of Jesus claims to be universally true. This is why so many people have difficulty with Christianity, and I get it. I acknowledge it. On the front edge of coming to faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus seems really ridiculous. It's only after you have begun tasting and seeing that the Lord is good for yourself over the course of sometimes years that you come to accept and receive in a real way in your daily practice that this Jesus thing isn't as ridiculous as it seemed when you first began poking around its outskirts years ago. So I just want to acknowledge, if you're watching this morning and you're not all the way there yet, it's okay, welcome to church, keep coming, keep engaging with Jesus, and over time, it will seem a little less ridiculous. But I must say, as a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, that the way of Jesus claims to be universally true. He, in fact... Says it repeatedly, here's perhaps the most famous instance taken out of John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've been reading in my daily devotions the sequences in the Gospels where Jesus is basically getting himself in hot water that will eventually lead to the uh, religious elite of his day um, conspiring to kill him. Why? Because he claims oneness with God the Father. He essentially says, when you see me, you see the Father. He essentially says, I am God. And it is no wonder that the religious Jewish leaders of his day wanted to kill him, for to claim oneness with God is blasphemy. So Jesus is either a blasphemer who deserves death, or he was absolutely right. He's either God or he's not. You have to deal with that tension. I want to invite you, in light of the fact that Jesus' claims are universal, to begin living like the root of your faith is an absolute ruler. I know that we live in a culture that does not enjoy the idea of an absolute ruler. You think immediately of dictators. You think immediately of evil kings and potentates. But I want to say that for me, knowing that my God is an absolute ruler and that that absolute ruler of the universe loves me selflessly, it is this basic truth that gives me courage to persevere. Knowing that he is absolutely in control, and knowing that he loves me with an everlasting love, gives me courage to go on. It also gives me the urge I need to obey. This is why I listen up. This is why I'm learning to shut up. This is why I am learning to get some fruit of the Spirit in my life, which, of course, is the opposite of anger. Why do we learn to do all these things? Because I think deep down, if we were to examine our own hearts, we would all admit that we prefer clean rivers, which, of course, is ultimately going to depend on us getting to know the Word. Have you noticed the um, photos that are circulating online of All the rivers in the urban centers around the world running clearer these days because of the precipitous drop in pollution. We all love clean rivers. I'll never forget climbing into the mountains in British Columbia for the first time and seeing my first true mountain stream. I have never seen anything like it. These urges that I'm talking about here find their roots in verses 19b through 21. Hear them here. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let me unpack this for you here real quick. Be quick to hear. Quick here in the Greek means to sprint. Like sprint to the point that you're going to listen let every one of you be quick to hear. Let every one of us be slow to speak. Listen up, and then shut up. I know shut up is strong language. My mom, who is probably watching this morning, is cringing even as I say it. But sometimes, strong people need to be directed with strong language. Okay? Listen up. Zip it. Okay? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why did I highlight the fruits of the Spirit? Let's recite them for you here out of Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Each of these on their own runs counter to anger. All of them together will slay anger at its root. So if you want to be slow, to become angry, the way to do that is through cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let me just say, if you can learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, that'll get you through week six in lockdown right there. Could I get an amen in this house? Can you believe we're in week six? Have you had a moment where you've had to be quick to listen to your spouse, slow to speak to your kids, slow to get angry with someone in your house who shall remain nameless? I got angry with my little daughter this morning. Why did I get angry with her this morning? One, because the charger was missing from its spot in the kitchen, and that made me angry. And then I walked into the living room to find where she had left it attached to her phone, which she should not have done, and I saw that three of the cushions had been left on the ground. And so when I saw her for the first time this morning, instead of hugging her as is my morning custom, I rebuked her for moving the charger and not cleaning up after herself. Okay, I was quick to anger in that moment. I need to get more fruit of the Spirit in my life, and maybe you need to do the same. And for sure, all of us need to be cultivating clean rivers. I get this out of verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The word here, filthiness, in the original language means moral pollution. Therefore, let us put away all moral pollution. And when I think about pollution, I am taken in my mind immediately to John chapter 7, verse 38, where we read, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their heart will flow streams of living water. So if you find yourself looking for a reason to cultivate moral purity... Let me just say, a reason to cultivate moral purity is so that the life-giving power of God can flow through you to a lost and dying world. As I think upon this, on the reality of moral pollution in our lives, and on the fact that we are meant to have streams of living water flowing from our hearts to a lost, dying, and thirsty world, I realize why so many Christians are so ineffective. Because the streams of living water that are meant to be flowing from your heart to the world around you are congested because of all the moral pollution in your heart. It's true for you. It's true for me. It is Receive it. It is time for us to cultivate clean springs. That's a word for you this morning. If you're watching and you know that's a word for you, stop resisting and receive it. It's time for you and it's time for me to cultivate clean springs, which is going to require getting to know the word. We get this out of verse 21, part B. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know what I love about the word implanted? It doesn't just mean implanted. And receive with meekness the natural, the rooted, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Why does the word save your souls? The word on its own does not save your souls. The Word saves your souls because it introduces you to the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you know that Jesus Christ is also known as the Word of God, the eternal Logos of God? The Bible, the Word, the story about God and His people, saves your soul only as it introduces you to the eternal, the ever-living Word of God. If you want to survive, you need to get to know Jesus. I mean, that's the answer right there. As you're looking to survive, this time in the valley, you need to get to know Jesus. You need to connect to the source and do whatever it takes to become a clean river. And, as we close with point number two, you need to do whatever it takes to live beside love. I get this out of uh, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they are like a man or a woman who looks intently at their natural face in a mirror. For they look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in their doing. Another version says, this man, this woman will be blessed in everything he does. She will be blessed in everything she does. But become a doer. You know what I love about the word doer? You guessed it. It doesn't just mean doer. Doer here in the original language, receive it. All you artists, get ready to get lit up. Doer means poets. Be a poet. Okay, all you hardworking people, get ready to get lit up. A doer means a maker. All you uh, helping type people, get ready to be lit up. A doer means a carrier. Huh. Even better, it means a carrier outer. Someone who carries out tasks. All you people who long to reform the world, get ready to be lit up. Because a doer means a reformer. It means someone who performs righteous acts. Be becoming a doer. Ooh, I could shout in this house. Be becoming a doer, a poet, a maker, a carrier-outer, a performer. That's the Greek interpretation of verse 22, part A. Be becoming a A poet, a maker, a carrier-outer, a performer of the Word. Literally. It does not say, but be doers of the Word, and thank God. If you look at it in the original language, it says, but be becoming. Everyone said amen. Right? Because if you're measuring yourself by an either-or proposition, either you're a doer of the Word or you're not, you and I are both on the losing end of that equation. But if you are measuring yourself on a equation that says, be becoming a doer of the word. Everyone's invited to that dance. You're invited, I'm invited, and there's a very good chance that even if you can't dance too good, you're at least on the dance floor. Somebody shout. But be becoming. Receive it. A poet, a maker, a carrier-outer, a performer of the word. If you want to survive, you need to get actively better and better at seeing beauty, and interpreting it and applying it for others' joy. Isn't that what poets do? Don't, don't miss this. Okay? If you want to survive, you need to get actively better and better at seeing beauty and then interpreting and applying it for other people's joy. You need to be a poet. You need to, if you want to survive, get actively better at making something. Okay, Here's the point. Stop being passive. I know it's easy to be passive in these depressing and trying days. Don't let it happen to you, okay? Be becoming a maker, somebody who does something. Carry something for someone this week. Hallelujah. Make something. Carry something. Perform a mitzvah for someone this week. What is a mitzvah? A mitzvah in Judaism is a righteous act. If a doer is a performer, it's time for you to take the stage. Perform a righteous act this week, my friend. In other words, live. If we were meeting together as a church, you know that it is my habit to play a walkout song. And if I was playing a walkout song this morning, it would be Lenny Kravitz's Live. Live! Go and play it after you're finished listening to me this morning. Live! In other words, live. Stop miscalculating the meaning of life by only listening and never doing. Stop neglecting what you are really like. Stop it. Stop looking in the mirror and then going away and forgetting what you're really like. If you want to live, you need to stare yourself in the face. You need to admit your need of God. You need to call out to Jesus for help. You need to ask for him to fill you with his spirit. and then You need to walk in the power that only God can give with confidence and with joy. Never perfect, but always pressing forward toward the upward call of God in Christ. Some would say, hallelujah. Hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah in my house today. Stop being someone who only hears and never acts. Be a doer of the word. And if you're thinking, gee, Todd, um, that's a lot of reformation right there. Um, How am I supposed to achieve all that? You are supposed to achieve all that by living beside love. I get this out of verse 25 as we close. And Kath, you can join me on stage. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. She will be blessed in all her doing. What? is the perfect law. The perfect law is outlined perfectly in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, where we read, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. To me, As far as my theology goes, this is the apex, the nexus of the New Testament. This is the most important passage, from my perspective, in the entire Bible. The entirety of the law and the prophets hangs on these two perfect laws. Love God with everything you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. He, she who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Here's the moment we've all been waiting for. What does it mean to persevere? Receive it. To persevere means to remain beside. To persevere means to remain near. Stay beside. Remain near. (laughs) Live beside love. This is is the answer we're looking for. Live bes- Receive it. I'm trying to shout too much. But know that I'm shouting in my heart. Hallelujah. L- live beside love. That's the answer. And such a person will be blessed in their doing. Such a person will be blessed in everything they do. And you know what the proper interpretation of the word blessed is? Such a person will be happy. In everything they do. Somebody smile in this house. Such a person will be happy. Receive it. Receive the joy of the Lord this morning. Whoever's listening to me all across this globe, receive the joy of the Lord this morning. Whoever lives beside love will be happy in everything they do. You know what this also means? Blessed? Whoever does this, whoever lives beside love will be envied in everything they They do. You will live a life that your friends want to emulate. And this has never been more important in our world than right now. As your neighbors, in the midst of their despair, are looking to you for a reason to hope. And who are you looking to? You are looking to Jesus for a reason to hope. And because you are standing next to love himself, hallelujah, you don't have to look very far. How do we do life right now? We do life right now by single-mindedly focusing on becoming a clean river. And we single-mindedly focus on living beside love. Become a clean river. Live beside love. Two-point sermon. You're welcome. And that's a little practical poetry to help you navigate this season in the valley. And somebody said... Amen.